Hey there, everybody. Aaron Noonan here. Welcome along to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. And on this episode, well, in fact, this is one of two parts of a sit-down chat that I had very recently with the great Fred Gibson, of course, driver, team manager, team owner. He's worn all the caps and won plenty of races in his time on both sides of the pit wall. We split his chat into two parts because there were so many things to talk about. So part two comes up next week. This is part one, and we talk about how he got into motorsport in the first place. We chat about his driving career, of course. He drove sports cars and open wheelers and then touring cars. And of course, the the time that he evolved in the 80s to becoming the team owner of the Nissan team that, of course, everyone knew as Gibson Motorsport. We got so many great National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions that we've spread them across both parts of our chat with FG. He was in very good form when I saw him very recently, the Hall of Famer. It was great to sit down with him. Some funny stories, some great insights. Here we go. Buckle up. Time to start part one of Fred Gibson on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. FG on the V8 Sleuth podcast. We have been asked by literally hundreds of people to track you down and come and have a chat to you and get you on the podcast. Do you know what a podcast is? No, no idea. <laughs> I'm getting old, so better tell me. <laughs> it's a fancy radio show. That's all it is, really. Really? It's another chance for us to tell bullshit. stories of lies and bullshit. Exactly. Bullshit again. There'll <laughs> exactly. be some bullshit in there somewhere. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> hey, um... Wanted to talk to you about a whole bunch of stuff. There is so many things to talk to you about, and I don't know where to start, but I don't think I've ever asked you, what got you started in racing? Was this a family thing? Where did the bug bite? Because clearly it's never left. I think one of the problems was is uh, years and years and years ago, um, I was becoming a demon on the road. And, and not, lived, a, not a good demon, I'm presuming. Not a good demon. And uh, like lived in Sydney and a few of my mates – and we finished up like, you know, I suppose a group of us had like, I had an MGA, made it a TR3, another guy had a Gogamobile, um, and uh, what else? We have a, all these cars. We had about six cars, our mates. And what are we going to do? We used to go and uh, lived in Sydney, so the whole thing is lived on the coast. So we used to go late at night out to Bondi, uh, Bondi Beach, and then drive all down the beach roads right down to Maroubra or further down of a night at about midnight and race each other. So this this went on for a few months, you know, uh, years and years ago, and the thing is until all of a sudden one night there was a roadblock and the cobbles were there waiting for us, pulled us all over. So we, we had to finish up, stop doing that. So, like, I thought this is not going to work too much long, long, longer now. So what I did, I sort of joined a car club, and we most of us joined a car club. I think we joined the Southern Sporting Car Club, which was a fairly big uh, in Hurstville in Sydney, because we used to all hang out at the Hurstville pub sometimes and you know have a few drinks and when we were young. Uh, so I started a car club with an MGA, and then uh, I started sort of uh, thinking, well, I need to take it off the road because I can't drive on the road. I'm, I'm too quick with it. So I made it into uh, a race car. Um, and as far as that was concerned, then it f- turned out to be probably the quickest MGA in Australia it was renowned to be. Um, I did all the work at home in the car in my dad's garage at the back of the house in Ramwick. Uh, he was a, a bit of a petrol head and he used to sort of, he's an old uh, sheet metal worker, turned into a motor mechanic. So we did a lot of the work in the garage at home at Ramwick 
and uh, finished up with a cross flow, cylinder head on it, Derrington cylinder head, jag or disc brakes on the back of it, close ratio gearbox, and another guy I used to know, Sid Grevitt, who used to race years ago too, and he had an MJ twin cam. And another mate of mine had an MJ twin cam as well, Norton Clayton. He raced that a fair bit. Actually, I finished up racing that car of his in the uh, six-hour race that might have been at Bathurst. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Gagans were in the SP250 Daimler, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was on the front row with them in the in the MGA. So the car turned into a race car, and my dad was, a, I suppose, a bit of a petrol head, and he uh, had a Vauxhall, Vex, uh, uh, Vauxhall uh, sedan, the big sedan thing, and we had a trailer. We did a trailer, and we, we trailered it around. So we went to the started going to motorsport, Catalina Park, and those sort of places. So was the first but, road car also the first race car? Yes, because there's my two questions done in done yeah, in one. It's, it's, it was a road car. It was a road car. Finished up as a race car. That was my race car. Yeah. And the thing is, we trailered and did all the all the local meetings, Catalina Park, and those sort of things. And it just got quicker and quicker, and uh, I suppose spent more and more money on it. <laughs> How were you funding this? Was he funding it? Were yeah, you funding no, it? How did that I was work? funding it. I was working two jobs then. I worked for the Electricity Commission. I mentioned as an apprentice uh, fitter and turner. I were you any good? No, uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to be a motor mechanic, but I couldn't get a job as an apprentice motor mechanic, so I got a job as a fitter and turner. And I worked at all the power stations in, you know, even Musclebrook and those places. Went and did time at those. So I learnt the machine side of doing things. Um, and it was good money at the time. And, uh, like I was doing sort of odd jobs here and there to get extra money and I'd come a bit of a petrol head where I'd fix someone's car and charge them for it and make mm. some money. So I just developed sort of from the street really to be a, a racer and uh, the MGA become the quickest MGA in Australia. So a lot of people who become racing drivers have the plan, yeah. I want to be a race driver. Yeah. A lot of guys, I guess, of your era were just inner cars, enthusiasts, loved it, loved racing, loved driving, loved tinkering, yep. and it kind of just happened without it being – because at the time, no one is going to sit there and say uh, career pathway 101, car yeah. race, professional racing car driver – not even on the radar, surely. Well, the thing is, you know, I was on the road and was in trouble on the road, wasn't I? Because <laughs> so, a fair few fines and things, so that didn't work. And I, when I joined the sporting car club, and and I raced at uh, when I joined that at Oran Park at his first race meeting, Oran Park, when the circuit all broke up, and, the, and this was a beautiful black MGA, and it was immaculate condition and oh, everything. No. And I raced it at this Oran Park meeting because uh, I joined the Southern Sporting Car Club and it was an open meeting and raced it there for the first time. And, and the track broke up so bad that the car looked like it had been shell grit everywhere. Oh, All no. the knock-ons were knocked about, the chrome knock-ons and the paint off the front of it. So it half destroyed the car at the first race meeting. I went there sort of thing. But I had a lot of fun in the car and it was a good car. Then... You know, you, you get to meet people at racetracks and I met the Gagans probably in some ways and they were the Lotus agents and um, I decided to upgrade uh, from the MGA and I like production sports car racing and uh, they got one out themselves um, and I ordered through them and I've still got the receipt for the, the uh, from Gagans for the car. How much was it, do you I, remember? I think it was 6,000 pounds or something. Oof. So it was, you know, back in those days. Uh, and... Uh, we used to look after that in the home at, in, in Randwick as well, still in the same place, uh, in the backyard sort of thing really, and uh, raced that, and it uh, was a great little car. And that's when I first met John Shepard. Yeah. Because he was working for Gagans. Yeah. 
and uh, Shepo was there and the car was, when when I got there, they only just got the car out of the big crate and they got an extra one out as well and that was finished up to be Neil Allen's car because he mm. bought the other one later on. So then when he, when he had his E-type Jag and Neil Allen we, I raced against with a Lotus and uh, knowing Neil, like I did back in those days, he wanted to be as good as I was going to be probably so he had to buy a Lotus of land. <laughs> so Gagan's raced at once there one and, and uh, he bought that as well, you know, two Lotus of lands, yeah. What's the story about the day that you were tinkering away, I think, with your Lotus? It might have been up at Lakeside or somewhere like that and a... Like we won't say who it is. People might be able to figure out who it is, but potentially one of the most famous drivers in world racing history at the time and probably ever stuck his head in the tent and was oh, Jimmy it, Clark. Keen, keen on your Jimmy Clark wandered into your tent because you had a Lotus. He drove for Lotus in yes. Formula One and Indy yep. cars, uh, yep. Indy Five Hundred, and stuff like that. Yep. It's just unfathomable now. Well, he was you... there for the Tasman series. Yeah, and, it's amazing. Uh, he was running his Lotus there, and we had the Lotus land there. The old man and myself. And uh, we had our tent up, and he walked into a little tent. Just out of the blue? Out of the blue. He said, hi, I'm Jim Clark. We know. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. And uh, he walked in and had a cup of tea with us because Dad used to walk the, the billy in the thing and have a cup of tea. And he talked about the car. He'd been watching the car go around, and he said, it's fantastic. Anyway, cut a long story short, he did a, a tie deal for me because the front tires on his Lotus F1 car were the same size as what on the Lotus of land. And they were Firestone, and he arranged the Firestone to supply tyres for as long as I wanted. And they supplied them free of charge, you know. And I think Savage, the Savage Tire Deal or something in Sydney, Granville or somewhere, they were the tyre deal for Firestone, and uh, it's too many tyres on them. So if you applied a modern um, equivalent, it's kind of like a support category team running their car at Albert Park. And Lewis Hamilton strides past, <laughs> sticks his head in and goes, oh, your Mercedes GT car's going pretty well. Uh, how's your t- Oh, I'll sort you out some tyres for the year. No worries on your way. And by the way, put the kettle on. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing how young we were then and how old we are now. <laughs> but no, it was good. He was, ter- he was terrific. He was really you – know, he, he watched the car and uh, he organised the whole thing. Didn't he? That's didn't amazing. Didn't cost me a and cent. Yeah. On his – Insistence. He yeah. he came up with it. Oh, yeah. you, you didn't yeah, even I have didn't to ask. ask. He, he no. just did it. He said they're the same as the same size as the front tires of my car. He said I'll I'll do a deal for you. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. That's a very cool story. So, so well, Lotus became a pretty famous car, really. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was a good car, and we had good racing with Neil Allen. Neil Allen with his Lotus Elan as well, and uh, it probably learnt me a lot, especially looking after the car and what you had to do and. Meeting John Shepherd and John was like a, a demon on twin those twin cam engines back in the day, and we had bigger carbies put on it, a big bigger Webers and all races, that sort of stuff. Races, <laughs> tweaking, races, tweaking, tuning, yeah, yeah. playing with stuff. Yeah. What was the um your story synonymous with Bathurst? You've been a winner as a, a driver, team boss, team owner. Uh, you remember the first time you went there? Yep. First time I went there was in uh, MGA Twin Cam, a mate's MGA Twin Cam, Norton Clayton. So this is before the Armstrong 500 year, oh, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wire fences and, you know, and tow trucks with beams hanging out the back of them that pick you up on drag on the road. Uh, yeah, like whatever year that was in the 60s. Um, so the thing is, that's before I even drove with Harry. So that was like the Lotus. I was on the front row of the grid in, sorry, in the um, MGA Twin Cam with uh, with Fatty Gagan in his SP250 Daimler. Couple of opposite I can still remember because when he'd go around a left hand corner, the right hand door would fall open all the time. 
I think because the body's just twisted so just much, popped it open. the door popped open and he's pulling the door shut. And I said to him after the race, he said, it's a shit of a car. It's just a stutter. He <laughs> <laughs> was a great guy, Pete. Pete, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a story on Pete. Pete wanted to drive our GDR one day. Oh, I was going to ask you about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah go on. Go on. He said, I want to drive the GDR. I said, sure, sure, okay, you can drive the GDR. So we made arrangements for him to drive the GDR at Oran Park and uh, he was supposed to be there whatever time it was and they made as part of the, a, 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 a closing the circuit down for him to do a couple laps in the car and everything. That's when was Scaife was driving the car, it must have been back in those days. And uh, he was late getting there, so they, that spot, that to move that spot. And I said, Pete, I don't think you'll sit in the seat. And he'll say, he said to me, Fred, 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 I'll get in the effing seat, no problem at all. And he wedged himself in the seat. He wanted to know where the gearbox was. That was a six-speed gearbox at the time, Hollinger box. And he hopped in the car, and he's a genius, he is. He hadn't driven before, and the first time past the pits down the straight, it's flat changing. <laughs> and here he is driving the car around Oran Park. And, like, you think of something like that, and he was so wrapped in driving the car, he thought it was just marvellous to be able to do that. But I'm not, I need to, to, to drive your car. <laughs> yeah, and he did. He got to drive it. and He, he got to drive it. Definitely yeah. drove it. So yeah. a, a legend of you know the 60s and 70s was driving a car here in the, the well, 90s, which was completely the opposite to anything he would have probably ever driven. Oh, yeah, yeah. And to get in, and like, to get in the, in the seat, like, really. Mm, physically. He was a big man. Yeah, And yeah. Again, he said, oh, 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 I can well get in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> what um uh, before we sat down to have a chat you were showing me around some of the bits and pieces that you've you've kept over the journey we love to talk to people on our podcast about their uh, memorabilia the stuff they've kept the stuff they've collected is a really interesting it's either two ways people either keep everything and are on the border of being on those you know those hoarder shows on tv where yes. they've got like stuff yep, stacked yep, in the rooms yep. Or they've just kept nothing and they've just moved on. Yeah. Where are you on the scale? Have you kept stuff over the years of race suits and helmets and stuff like that? Or you know, I've, give, I've given nothing away. Right. Okay. Well, you, I've, I've we'll still, see you on the next episode of uh, Australia's <laughs> Biggest Borders. <laughs> I've, I've collected everything I've ever started with. I've got my original goggles. Uh, in the, I think, protector or something, cage they were. Yeah. They're in the thing still. I got the bracelet I used to wear with my blood group on. So used to have to Important have to know if you had a drama. Yeah, yeah. a drama. And I said, like, goggles. Uh, I got my yellow race suits. I raced, uh, race suit I used to wear with the Lotus of Land. And my dad's race overalls I used to wear white King G overalls. Well, white, he's King G overalls. And I got my boots still, my first pair of boots. Um, Whatever the brand they are, so I've kept all those things, and I've just kept collecting things. So I've got most of the things I've had over the time. I've got the drawings of David uh, Kevin Drages, all his drawings that he did for the Nissan GDR, for the wheels he uprights, all everything, everything I've kept. Uh, I've kept. You know, I thought, well, I'll, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's it's all it's here. Better to keep it than yeah, not keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And there's a, there's a fair bit of memorabilia, uh, trophy wise and model car wise, and just tried to collect things that I think, you know, I thought the kids, but, you know, our grandkids really, uh, I've got three, three granddaughters, one grandson, and he, he lives in Canada now, and he's a hockey player. So, like, he's only a young guy. So, like, I don't think he really wants to know about the stuff that I got here. Yeah, yeah sure. Hardtop Falcons might not be his thing. He's, not a, he's not more his a hockey thing. man. Yeah, he's a hockey man. <laughs> he's a ice hockey man. Yeah. 
you mentioned GDR. It's the 30th anniversary this year of Nissan's GDR winning the is Bathurst it, 1000. Is it really? 1991. Really? Wow. Time flies. Time now, flies. No wonder I'm feeling old. Oh, come on now. Come on now. <laughs> hey, take me back to um, we get asked so often, and there's a bunch of questions from our listeners, and I'll, I'll try to get to as many of them as I can, but the GTR is huge in all the questions we get asked, and particularly when we said we we're going to be talking to you. When did the GDR project start? So it started racing here in 1990, yep. but I guess the year before it probably came on the radar. Did, did you get a sniff of that car and think, hello, this is this is what we need. This is going to be amazing. Well, don't forget Paul Berenger, you know, worked at Nissan Motor Company and a good mate of mine. He's still a good mate of mine. And even with the HR31s and DR30 Skyline, it was still Nissan Motor Company, wasn't it really? And people like Leon Daphne and those mm. to play. So the whole thing is they knew the GDR was coming as a road car. So I started doing some research on what this GDR was all about, you know, before it even came to Australia. And I spoke to Paul a few times about it and said, like, and we got the specs of the car and what it was going to be and I said that'll make a good touring car and then he went to the company and spoke to the company about doing a limited edition cars out here so that made it a bit better for us if we're going to do that because we had HR31 Skylines uh, and being being the Nissan people we were and I was very fortunate to be given the Nissan team years before that uh, and building up to what it was and if the GDR was coming. So that's when Nissan decided they had their special vehicles department um, and Paul was in charge of that as well as part of product, product planning. So he, um, uh, we decided we'll go to the company and say, hey, how about we, we race the GDR? It's going to be expensive. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, was that the next part of the question? That was the next <laughs> part of it because the, the thing is like um, – it would, you couldn't have raced it as a production car here in Australia and beat in, uh, were, and would have been competitive against Holden and Ford and that because the rules have changed, the regulations have changed. So we knew we had to do a lot of work with the car. Um, we knew Japan were running the cars in Japan and winning races, but really that's all they're racing against. They're only racing against GDRs, Nissan GDRs. And um, the thing is, like out here, our, our, our sport was very competitive. Mm. So the thing is, like, we knew we had to do a fair bit of work to the car. Probably didn't appreciate how much work we'd have to do because uh, the Japanese aren't very uh, good at telling you the things that, that needs to be to go motorsport-wise. And if, if you had to buy something off Nismo for the car for competitive, make, make it competitive, would have cost an arm and a leg because hmm. they're not cheap. You know, the cars aren't cheap and the parts off Nismo aren't cheap. So we decided to do our own car and Nissan decided to do a 100 run of cars. Road cars. Road cars, yes. 100 run of road cars. And uh, we got three of those cars. Which was a shame, really. We got through these cars, road cars, and then we turned them into race two race cars. That's actually one of our questions from one of our readers who was keen to know, were the race cars part of that bunch of road cars? So you you, you had to take three of the hundred yep. we, to, to we, turn them into races. We turned them into races. And I can just when they arrived at the workshop, the first one, we had to sort of strip it down to make it a race car. So that's all the upholstery comes out like heaps of things come off the car that we didn't use a race car. So I must say the Reckon Yard did a pretty good job. <laughs> you know, he had seats and he had carpets. He had good and he, content for he a had, while. He had a lot, of, a lot of gear he could sell uh, because Nissan didn't want it back. Uh, they didn't want to know about it really. So we built the race cars uh, from road cars, yes. Yeah. In terms of the body shells about the only thing that 
Yeah, but, yeah but, and also too, but uh, Aaron, it was like, you know, uh, we had to start homologating things for the car and do our own Australian homologation because uh, the five-speed gearbox, uh, even the one that Nismo would sell you, uh, straight-cut gears, we could do it here much cheaper, a Hollinger box. Mm. And, uh, of course, we knew Hollinger through the uh, HR31 and other Nissan cars we had, and Peter Hollinger was fantastic, and the engineering he did was better than anywhere else in the world virtually. So uh, we got a six-speed gearbox done for the GDR. We, did, uh, we had to do new uprights for the car. We did it on Kevin Drage in Adelaide that did our wheels. Uh, he did our wheels. Uh, Kevin Drage did all the castings for the uprights and things. So we Australianised the GDR in Australia. And we, we sort of like – I remember we first got the first Japanese gearbox here with a five-speed dog box. And uh, we put it in the car and went to Western Australia. And Jim did one race in it there and, and it should have gearboxed the next race. So I knew the gearboxes from Japan weren't going to be up to what we wanted. Uh, and because we, we had, they controlled the formula in Japan. Nismo did. Nissan did. The GDR was competitive, was winning races. Everyone's buying GDRs to race. So don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Yeah. In Australia, when Kakimoto's son used to come here, was the boss of Nismo. He used to come to our, some of our, a lot of our meetings, actually. Why did you do this, Gibson son? Why did you do that, Gibson son? Because we had to. So we made our own wheels, our own uprights, our own uh, uh, gearbox, uh, our own turbos, everything we did in-house. We had our own turbo machine, so everything was done by us. Mm. Um, and, uh, like, it became the most successful GDR in the world. Could you have imagined... Clearly, when you saw and heard about it, you thought, this is a good thing. We've got to get our yep, hands on one yep, of these. Yep. But could you have imagined what it became? Or did well, it exceed your expectation is probably the question. Probably the best thing, why we thought it'd arrive here and would be competitive and strong and reliable and be competitive. It was nowhere near competitive and it wasn't reliable uh, because the thing is our, our touring car racing is the best touring car racing in the world. And it was then Group A. It was Group A. So everything we had to do, we had to homologate it through CAMs, through FIA, the gearboxes, and all the things we did to it, we had to homologate that as well, a mountain of work to do. Mm. Um, but they become the best Turinka. And like, as I said, when Kakamo, I said, we are invited to come to Fuji for a race, not a good idea. <laughs> Very straight on the phone. Don't, don't bring your car in. It's not, going to be very fast compared to these ones. Not a good idea because no. they, they were controlling their formula over there. Yeah. And anyone that run a GDR over there, it was like a Nismo-type car. Mm. Uh, and they were winning, so why they didn't need to do any more? Mm. Mm. But here, it was totally different. Well, and the thing is, like people like Larry Perkins, he hated the car. <laughs> I think he still does. <laughs> he does. He does. He still hates the car. He says that. <laughs> and he, even the HR31, he still hated that car. <laughs> <laughs> and he used to say to us, you're cheating. You've got to be cheating. You can't be going that well without cheating. <laughs> <laughs> At least he was honest and said it to yeah, you. Yeah, he though. was. He was. Uh, what was the the main? I think I remember in the start, it was a heavy car. It, it was quite a heavy car comparative to some of the other things that were going on. Thirteen hundred kilogram. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was sort of almost Commodore type no, kind of weight. Oh, it was yeah. It so was. what were what were the first that first year in nineteen ninety? So it turned up and Mark raced it at Malala because Jim was fighting for the championship. So Correct. it was felt let's give Scafie. Yep. The car to get the bugs out of it, and then yep. Jimmy drove it for the last few rounds and, and won the championship at Oran Park. What were the main 
uh, Achilles heels to begin with that you had to fix? I mean, you talked about the gearbox being one, but what else front, were the problems? Front up, broke a front upright at, uh, for Scafe, had broke a front upright at, uh, at Mallard. Mallard. That's right, yeah. Front wheel fell off it, I think, really. We, we, we had to sort of make the car a lot stronger than it was. It was it was too sort of uh, weak as far as suspension was concerned, front axles were concerned, back axles were concerned. It wasn't the sort of thing. And to say, because anyone that, like, I used to say to our guys, I suppose when we go back to DR30, HR31 Skyline, our cars were never as competitive, so the drivers had to drive the wheels off them. Mm. And I used to say to the drivers, you do whatever you got to do to drive the car quick. However you got to treat it, whatever you got to do to it, you do it. And if it breaks something, we've got to fix that. We've mm. got to modify that. And that's why we, with the DR30, we had to start homologating parts for the DR30 through, through FIA as well, through Australia and FIA. And so we knew the system you had to go through because the DR30 wasn't competitive. You know, we had to make it competitive. And same, same with the HR31, it wasn't competitive. So the whole thing is in Japan, they were competitive because they controlled the motorsport. Mm. Here, we had a lot of people like the Perkins and the Johnsons and those sort of people that hated us because our cars, we did the right homologation, but that took time, mm. a lot of effort and time to homologate and all through Japan and all through JAF and then through FIA. So that's why we were late in some of our cars appearing really because I wouldn't run the cars unless they were safe enough to race and also reliable enough to race. And for Nissan, we didn't want to see a Nissan car breaking down all the time. And the DR30 broke down a fair bit. But, like, you know, we used to do everything in-house. Did our own engines in-house. We did our own turbos in-house. When the people from the turbo people from come out from America, they couldn't believe the things we did to our turbochargers legally, but the things we did made bearings for them and everything in-house. Mm. Our machine shop could do anything in the workshop. And, uh, you know, the people we had, which are still around now, you know, they are so, I suppose, technically minded from learning a lot in uh, motorsport. 91 was when it started really click. So Jimmy won the championship. Mark won some races, including his first uh, championship win over in Perth, mm-hmm. uh, which since then has had a name change to Barbie Gallo and is now reverted to Wanneroo. So we can call it Wanneroo <laughs> again, which is, which is much easier for us all. Um, and then, of course... Bathurst, uh, I think you guys won by a lap in the end. You ran two cars that year too, Drew yes. Price and Gary Walden. That's said right. Scaffy got in it and thrashed it around and broke the lap record right. before he killed it. So, yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. How important was it to win Bathurst to you but also to, to Nissan and to Japan? Did they understand how how oh, yeah. big that was? That Was that more important to the champion, than the championship to them? Yes, yeah. yes. Winning, winning Bathurst, like that was that was the, the, the golden one, the win. Uh, and we knew we had to win that. And, and, and like you look at the MD of uh, the MDs of Nissan, they're spending a lot of money and not a lot of money because we had to get extra money uh, with sponsorships, I think. But there wasn't many, that 91 year, it was a very Nissan corporate coloured car. There was only what tiny little supply partnerships. So was the, it, it was all Nissan paying the bill then, I guess. Nissan were paying the bill then, and they, they knew they were paying the bill too because that's why, like, we had to really win. <laughs> yeah. We had to give them some results, really, because the thing is, like, they stuck their neck out, and, uh, and probably because of Paul Berenger too. He was pushing for doing this because image, it's all about image. And Nissan had a, didn't have the best image with Bluebird and those sorts of things because when we raced Bluebirds, they were a fragile little car mm. and they're always breaking down. 
on. So the whole thing is like, you know, really this GDR or this Skyline program, because that was their main selling car, Skyline. Even in the early days where the first Skyline race car we had was still Skyline. Mm. And especially starting a special vehicles department, they didn't want to see these Skylines in the racetrack packing up all the time. Uh, so they were under the gun as well, and we were too, cost-wise. And that's why... You know, when I took the team, I didn't realise years ago and years ago when I drove for uh, when Howard was there, and he rang me one day and said, "FG, um, uh, are you interested in sort of running the race team?" And I said, "Well, why, HM?" He said, "Well, like you know, we're getting out of it, and you can take it over if you want to." And I said, "How much are you going to cost me to take it all over?" He says, "It's going to cost you nothing. We're giving it to you." And so the factory we had in Dandenong, uh, with the, with, that's when DR30 was on, they just said, said it's all yours, all yours. And I was, I was very fortunate, probably at that time, um, we must have been uh, talking to Peter Jackson then, and uh, he, said, he said to me, he said, oh, he said, Fred, this is Howard, oh, he said, Fred, I've got some sponsorship for you. And he said, if you want to run the workshop, you can have the whole workshop. And I thought I was going down to say to run the workshop. As in sort of be like the, the, manager, the manager, the workshop. Not the owner. And I walked down there. He said, oh, no, 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 it's yours. You know, we're giving you the workshop. You lease the building and it's a lease building and everything that's there, it's all yours. It's all yours. So I just walked in there and really that's when Kristen and I and the family all moved down to Melbourne. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, wow, you got to – that was in the Bluebird program and started the DR30 program. And uh, when the, some of the guys that were left there still, when they knew I was taken over, they didn't want to work for me. So they hit the toe. They were gone. They were gone. So I had an empty workshop with a DR30 car that wasn't homologated and had to get it all together. And I spoke to uh, Bo Seaton, uh, said to Seaton, uh, interested in coming to Melbourne and being the engine man. And uh, he think, well, I said, and I'll give Glenn a drive in the car. Uh, you know, Glenn can drive. And uh, so he moved down, the family moved down to Melbourne, and uh, he run the engine department. Trevor Jones, who started with me with my um, uh, MGA, and and he moved down to Melbourne, and he come down and worked me, sort of down here as well, and a couple other guys. And uh, I kept road and track in Sydney going, uh, which was my workshop in Sydney. I kept that going. I put a manager in there, kept that going, and we all moved down to Melbourne. All come down to Melbourne. And away you went. <laughs> and, and away we went. That GDR program kind of became the, the peak of the crest. You'd been yeah. starting down the bottom there, yeah. build up a team, build up a skyline, go yeah. through the pain of the first few iterations of skyline. Yeah. Each of those, you know, came with results. What do you remember about that Bathurst 91 Wind. You remember the stress? Was it that you talked about the pressure of expectation? The you know Nissan are spending I started, plenty of money. I started drinking alcohol in the nineties, I think, really, <laughs> and it got worse. Ninety one come along. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't smoke, but I tell you, I was under a lot of stress. You know, I mean, we all were. You know, when, when we moved down there and took this program over, like you know, I said to Christine, "It's a punt we're taking," and I said, "Like, but like, it's worth taking." Mm. You know? especially with the um, you know how it said, "Oh, he said I've found some money from Peter Jackson for you," and uh, it was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars back in the day. Uh, that was a good sum of money back mm. in those days, plus some Nissan money. So um, you know, I just got the people that I knew. Mm. Uh, do you want to come down here and we do this little exercise? Yeah. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. 
Simply type in your rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Bringing back to that GDR thing, did you feel for that, I mean, you'd been through the pain of the previous year where the car was fast. I remember Richo just blowing everyone away in yeah. the first five or six laps yeah. and getting to the, I think he passed 10 cars in two laps. It was <laughs> awesome. Um, but the next year was kind of everyone expected you were going to win. Yes. Did, did you expect to win? And no, the, no, no. Really? I mean, you had such a huge advantage over everybody. Yeah, but the, the, car whole, was so good. the whole thing is, but we had, you know, really, you've got to develop the car. You can make the car quick. But it's quick in a touring car round. Mm. But when you've got to do a thousand K and, and we'd never been anywhere to, to do that sort of kilometers in the car. Mm. So the whole thing is to go and do a race like that. You know, we'd hoped to win, uh, and we're disappointed we didn't win, but like we learned a lot. Mm. Um, and I suppose when you've got a team of like probably by then we're sort of in the 20 people. Uh, working for us sort of thing, um, you start to get sort of there as keen as mustard and, and it's competitive and, and the whole team was competitive and, and we'll make this happen. Mm. Uh, so it, it, was, it was a terrific result, yeah, terrific result. It's one of those ones that it was a breakthrough in so many ways. It's the only four-wheel drive car to win Bathurst, yep. first Japanese car to win Bathurst, yep. Mark's first Bathurst yep. win of many, yep. uh, Jimmy's first in a fair while. So it had all these firsts and things that were breakthroughs and things that had not been done before for a very long time. Well, I think that's why in long, in some ways I said to Christine, you know, we, we had uh, Glenn down here and that sort of stuff and we had young, but I wanted an experienced driver and she wrote down a bit of paper who she thought. I said, you write down a bit of paper who you should think and I write down a bit of paper who I think. And uh, I said, because I'll go and pinch them, you know. And the thing is, um, Jim Jim Richards was top of her list and my list. And he'd been driving for Brock, hadn't he, in the BMWs? Yes, yeah. 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 But also, too, because also um, BMW uh, were, uh, were pulling out, mm. right? And the thing is, uh, I bumped him in, in the dirt road at Bathurst, you know. <laughs> And Where I, all good deals are done. And I said, Rich, how are you going, Rich? Oh, he said, yeah, good, VFG, yeah, good, good. I said, what are you doing next year? And he said, why? I said, how would you like to drive for us next year? And uh, he said, FG. He said, oh, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. He said, oh, I haven't got a lot on next year. He said, that'd be fantastic. Uh, and the next question he asked me, he said, how much money are you going to pay me? Because knowing Rich, how tidy he is. <laughs> And he said, I said, oh, whatever, forget what it was at the time. He said, that's easy. That's a done deal. We shook hands on the deal and the deal on was On the dirt done. road in Bathurst. Yeah, on the dirt road in Bathurst. Yeah, well, Don't need the, prolonged it, contract negotiations uh, or heavy manager meetings, just on a dirt road in Bathurst, and I, done R- deal. Rich and I, just walking down the old, the old pit, pit, you know, the dirt road at the front of behind the pits, Walking down there, I just bumped into him and did a deal. And he stayed with us right through. Long, yeah. long time. Yeah. Long, long time. And and he he was so good for the team because we had young drivers. He was so good for the team. He would tell them what he knew and how to drive the car differently. He was so supportive to the drivers. He didn't you try know? to – Scafie's told me that before. He just didn't try to hide anything. No, nothing, nothing. Didn't play games or – No, no, not at all. He was just brilliant, he was. You know, that's when Glenn decided to move on uh, and, and Bo they went and did their own thing, which was really Peter Jackson's cause that, I suppose, because they said, oh, why don't you do that? Because, you know, um, they, I was pretty firm in the way I run a race team. 
and all the guys that work for her, like they got good life, got looked after very well. Like we do all their laundry and we'd sort of have the, the workshop was one of the best workshops in the country. It turned out to be, um, but and Jim Jim was just so good with it with everyone else in the whole place uh, that when Glenn left, I had to start to get someone else organised as well. Um, and then sort of then Scaphy come along anyway, and Jim taught Scaphy heaps. Hmm. He was just no problem at all. Yeah. He says he taught him a bit about beer drinking as well as oh, race geez. driving. Yes, he what? He used, to, he used to call him the guinea pig. You try it first, Scavey. He used to call him Scavey the guinea pig. You try it first, guinea pig. If the wheels fall off and something, you might get hurt. It's better you getting hurt than me getting hurt. <laughs> Especially when he crashed the car at uh, Adelaide. Oh, yes. That was a bad accident. I said, because they went out in the, that first practice session. And this is the GDR, the GDR at the Grand Prix. At when the he put Grand it on Prix. Its lid, yeah. And uh, they go out and um, uh, all of a sudden Scavey didn't come round. And I said to Rich, I said, Rich, have you seen Scafe anywhere? And he said, uh, FG, yes. And I said, is he crashed? He said, yes, he's crashed. And I said, oh, shit. And I said, uh, how bad's a car? He said, and we used to have this drinking competition. He said, it's a small bottle shop. It's what he owes the team. <laughs> That's what he owes the team. A small bottle shop, because it was wrote off. It was written yeah, it was off. a write off. It, it was a write gone and yeah. gone. One of the five. There were five GDRs yes, that were right. made, weren't there, she, for racing for your team. And yeah, there's four still around, but that's the one that yeah, she got wrote off. Didn't uh, didn't last long. Survived. And that knocked that knocked Scafi about knocked his brain about a fair bit, and I think he's still got the same problem with his brain now. <laughs> 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 There's actually a couple of questions about Mark and crashes and things a bit later on, but it makes sense to me now. He's uh, some of his stories as a younger bloke while in your employ. Uh, I think he and Traddy had a bit of a an incident one day with a road car doing a bit of racing in some back streets of Dandenong. So I guess with you, you talked about your inner uh, hoon on the road as a young bloke. I guess you could identify a little bit with a bit of that, although at the time I'm sure you weren't really thinking quite that way. No, it wasn't really at all because, like, the thing is there was Anthony Tratt who used to drive a horse and that sort of thing. They were good mates and you got Glenn down here and you had Scafey down here and, and we put them in a house together when they were down oh, here. So dangerous. That dangerous. was very dangerous, very dangerous. We had, I said to Kristen, we've got to put these guys, young guys somewhere. We, we've got to rent a house and put them in a house. That was disaster. And the thing is the things they used to get up there, the two of the three of them actually all together. Uh, and with Jim's ex, you know, I wouldn't do that, but he should give it a go. I haven't seen a bad accident later, something like Jim was terrific. But uh, I was in Japan and I got back on the morning, on the morning flight, and um, I hopped in the car. I went, I went across to see Nissan first and I went across to the workshop. And he said, If I need to see you, I said, Scavey, I'm busy. He said, Fred, you need to see me. I said, I need to see you, do I? Why do I need to see you? He said, there's been a little problem. And I said, what's the problem? He said, well, actually, he said, the, the gazelle I had, and I said, he said, I said, yeah, he said, I rolled it over. I said, you rolled it over. I said, it's the road car, not the road race car. car gazelle. Uh, yeah, yeah. You rolled it over. How'd you do it? What'd you? Oh, he said, um, he said, Traddy and I were blazing down past the main, main street of Nissan on the free, on the road, main road. And he said, uh, got a touch up and it turned over. Who touched up? He said, Traddy, give me a touch up and turned over. I said, I got it. He said, that's not the worst part. I said, oh, what's the next part? He said, uh, there was a cobble hiding in the bushes with a radar gun. And he said, but the worst thing that's happened too, but I had my new fiberglass briefcase and it flung out and went on the road and ran over it. 
<laughs> so, worried about the bloody the suitcase, briefcase, the briefcase and, 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 and the, uh, the car. Yeah, so the cop was in the road, the cop was so I had to go to court and, and fight him in court to, to get Chad in him out of a court case. Oh, they, were, they were a pretty disaster, two of them. <laughs> and then Richo's priming him up all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. Good fun. It was good. Thing thing is... They were t- we were a team. Hmm. All our all the guys that worked for us. Yeah, a lot of guys that stayed there for a long time. Worked day and night. They would work day and night, and they still ring up, and they still we all talk to each other, and the whole thing. And I've still got the list of people we still have had working there, and you know we had some good people. And even we had a couple of guys that went back to New Zealand, a couple of Kiwis, uh, and those, and they still keep in touch. So the team was a very close knit team. Hmm. Uh, and uh, like I remember, I got off the plane one day and. Uh, one and uh, all the teams got off, and Dick's team got off, and uh, they had shorts and thongs on, uh, and a t shirt, and looking, looking like rubble. They did. And I said, oh, Our team will never look like that. So after that, we finished up, we supplied the team with uh, clothes. Top when we were in the plane, they wore a tie, shirt, sports jacket, all the clothes we supplied the whole lot. So when they traveled, they, they used to go on the uh, VIP lounge at the airports. They used to get looked after. They used to get all their washing done at work. We used to have a washing machine there and they had people that we used to wash all the clothes, dry clean all the clothes. Our team got looked after better than any other team in the country. Fred, stop, because the guys who work for me will want this as part of their deal for next year. <laughs> they will, I want me to do their washing for them. Oh, God. I, I no. struggle to do my own washing, let alone do well, anyone else's. Well, that's, that's why we've got our own cook. Yeah. We got our own cook. Colin, Colin did our cooking. S- stop, mate. Sorry. Now they're going to want me to supply lunch at the office as well. <laughs> Steady on. I buy him a coffee every now and then. This is cost. This podcast has cost me an arm and a leg, mate. We need to move on to the next topic. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, the National yeah. Motor Racing Museum up at Bathurst is uh, great friends of ours. They've got some amazing stuff on display up there, uh, and uh, we bring via them the Couch Racer Questions segment of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Basically, we've had a bunch of fans send in a bunch of questions, yep. and hopefully, you can answer them as best as you can. Yep. Um, there's a couple along the way here that might help solve or dispel some myths about GTR. There's all sorts of stuff that floats out there in social media world. Uh, so you might be able to stamp a few out or support a few to say that they're actually true as well from yep. some of our, our listeners. So Glenn McGill asks the first one. He said, is it true? Now, when someone starts with one of these, you know that's it's a, a – That's it's, a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> it could be a problem. Uh, is it true back in the day of the GTR – when it got a weight or performance penalty, rather than adding lead, you upgraded the bolts throughout the chassis to better distribute the weight and effectively make the car stronger. No, we didn't do that, but he's on the right track. Right. We had to put extra weight in the car, so the rear cross member on the car is a steel cross member in the back of the independent rear suspension, and we filled it all up with lead. Uh, in The cross member was all filled with lead weights in it. Uh-huh. We so pulled the crossman apart. We put, f- filled with lead, so it was down low to the ground, down low to the ground. Because you know, cross member goes down to the ground, and the, so our, our cross member was a very heavy cross member, and that was where some of the extra weight went. Yep. Was that yep. legal? Yep, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay, so he's sort of on the right. Yeah, he's, on, he's on the right track. Yep, yep. 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 Uh, Ian Stenhouse, this is an interesting one. What are your thoughts on TCR? You've been around touring car racing a long time in all the different eras of. I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. I think we can have uh, two – VA supercars are present right now is, to me, uh, I'd enjoy TCR better than, than VA supercars. Is that the racing purist in you? Yeah, it is Yeah, because they're sports sedans. Hmm. 
you know, a touring car now, like the touring cars are running now, but they're sports sedans, really, what sports sedans used to be years ago. And the TCR are sort of like touring cars. Closer to a traditional yeah. touring car. I'm not yeah. knocking either of them. No, no, no. It's just, but it's what a I'm fact. saying is I think TCR is going to go well. I think I'd enjoy seeing it. Um, I've seen a couple of the British touring car uh, cars that are here in Australia. Alan Heavey's got one in his workshop there, uh, Nissan. Um, so I see what they've done. And the rules started to get out of control even when they raced them overseas with the engines turned around back to front and all those sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, Super so, Tourers went through the roof. Yes, yeah. it went through the roof as well. But I think really, to me, I think it'll go very well. And I think people backing it, uh, pretty experienced and pretty financial, and I think uh, it'll go good. Yeah, mm. I think it fits a it fits a, a oh, spot. It, fits, that, it does. You know, oh, more racing the better. I, I know we're a small market, and there's only going to be so much corporate and commercial well, I, money going around. But um, I think, I, I think we're losing two touring car racing, like it was. Was really we started with two door cars, windy, and it's like we've ended up back there, back there again, haven't we? Really, <laughs> with the two door cars again, yeah. Four doors again. It's a pity, yeah. like you see, Holden pull the plug and those sorts of things. So you're losing the four door car touring cars, what it used to be like. Yeah, well, it's like you drive around on the road now. Uh, very rare that you'll find. I mean, it's SUV land out there. Yeah, SUVs, Utes, small cars. Well, there's an find- opportunity for you, SUV racing. Oh, really? <laughs> no, mate. They, tr- they tried the super thing with diesels and it didn't really work. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Just because it's selling lots on the road, yeah. I don't think it makes good racing just quietly. Um, Luke Blackman, actually, this is a super touring-related question. Luke asks, how close did Gibson Motorsport get to running a super touring program in Australia? You were linked to running Nissans and later Vectras because you had some Holden tyres later on. Was it ever close, running a two-litre thing, or was it always we just a bit lo- of chat? looked at very closely because Alan he was involved in the, in England with Super Tourist sort of thing. With Nissan. With yep. Nissan. And uh, and he's got he's got an actual Nissan uh, uh, Super Tourist in his workshop. So the whole thing is it did get fairly close to sort of maybe we should do something like with that. With Nissan? With or? Nissan. Yeah. With Nissan. And they were keen to do it, but uh, I, th- I think really – the little car thing didn't suit this and what they want to do. Even though they see they did the Bluebird thing, and the Bluebird really, even they manufactured the Bluebird in Australia, but it wasn't really successful for Nissan winning races with the Bluebird because the Bluebird become a pretty expensive little car to run, uh, and we're running against the Commodores and the Falcons. So the whole thing is even back in those days. We'd beat them, but like if you knew how we beat them and how illegal the cars were to beat them, <laughs> and the rules changed to do that, you know, so it was never going to be any good. No, mm. no. Um, nothing with Holden, nothing with Vectras, nothing along those no, lines. No, not, not really. No. We, they, no, it was more more a Nissan thing rather than a Vectra thing. So yep. the Holden thing. Yep. 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 Uh, Matt's question: Which of the Bathurst wins of one as a driver, three as a team owner slash manager? Which of those wins was the most satisfying? Oh, any, all any, of them. <laughs> any any win about this is satisfying, really. I suppose the first GDR win was satisfying because I knew how much hung on the balance there with that. Um, because you know we'd spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of Nissan's money, and and the whole thing is uh, when they first the GDR first, it was a fragile car uh, to compete against the other cars, and it had to be sort of made much more reliable. So really, probably the 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 Bathurst Nissan win. But I suppose also too, but. You know, my first win at Bathurst with Harry 
that was a pretty special thing for me to do as well uh, with the GT Falcon sort of thing. A GT back then, a GTR a little bit later. It was yeah, sort of a bit the same-ish, but yeah, that was about where the similarities ended. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, and I know you've talked about this many times in the past, but Frank Maddich was supposed to drive with Harry. Yeah, he couldn't. Yeah. You get the call up. Yeah. You meet him what, on the Friday night or whatever on it was. On the Friday night in his pyjamas. <laughs> Stage. Best story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these days they're announcing their co-drivers for Bathurst in February. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and here you are two days out from the race. Yeah. Of course, at the time, it wasn't the behemoth that it is now. Yeah. It was oh, yeah, what, five yeah. years into its history. The, yeah. um, oh, what was it? Gallagher 500 by But I suppose also, too, but, you know, when you, when that day I spoke to Harry and that night I spoke to Harry, uh, he said, that cock will win the race. And he was so confident. But when you find out the things that Harry used to do, too, <laughs> it's probably no wonder we won the race because it was a good car. But, uh, but Good but, in a legal way or good in a, know, but, you just know, a few it, smart little things? It's smart come. little things that Hay should do uh, to make it a better car. And he did and probably learned a lot of him in those era for when, we, when Ford Motor Company uh, with Big Al here and those sorts of things mm. because people can't believe how bad those cars were doing Bathurst. Mm. You know, you'd have no brakes after five or six laps or something sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. funny how everyone thinks that glory days, golden era. Yeah. When you compare and contrast, though, you go, oh, my God. Oh, oh God, yeah. But when you, when you look at a – When you don't know any different. When you look at a HO, you're doing 150 mile an hour. Down the straight of Bathurst, 150 mile an hour, and you've got a Mini Cooper S or something there, like, you know, those sorts of cars and everything, and you come across the hump, and we used to tell the guys with the small cars, watch the windsock, mm. because we'd come off the ground. Mm. And if we would decide something, we'd just swat one. And yeah, it would, yeah, yeah, you can't steer it if it's in midair. And then when you get in into the straight for the braking area, and you've got your foot hard on the throttle, and the left foot's pumping the brake pedal up, pumping the brake up, so you had a pedal at the end of the brake to stop the car. So the thing is, and you do that for most of the whole race. So it's a whole different aspect of racing to what they do now, for sure. Yeah, They're race cars now. Yeah, they're they race weren't ca- race cars. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were racing, yeah, yeah. but they weren't racing race car. cars. Yeah, 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 it's a very important distinction. Yeah. Uh, Peter Alexander, he's a massive Ford fan. He's a regular reader of our page and our stuff. He said, when the new regs came in for the, v, the V8 era, 1993, you went Holden. You had a lot of history with Fords. I think I think Scafie and yourself talked about this over the years. How close or what consideration was there that you would go with Ford rather than with Holden, given you'd had a, a tie in there in the oh, past? It, it was just – it was pretty close, but it wasn't close because Holden just did a better deal. Mm. You know, it was just they wanted us desperately. And uh, I can't think of the marketing guy back in those days. Um, they knew that we were – they knew we were going to go well. Oh, Rob McInery? Rob, yeah, yeah. 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 Rob McInery, yeah. The late Rob McInery. Yeah, Rob McInery. No, he, he wanted us to we hold and, and we, went, we went holding. And uh, no other reason that it was just a better deal, mm. you know, really. Because, you know, I suppose also to then getting back to Ford with the Lowndes deal, uh, that was because of uh, who was the president of Ford then? Jeff Pilates. Jeff Pilates. Great Jeff Pilates. And yeah. he's the one that, you know, got me back in that little deal again because, you know, he was just one to go motor racing again. Mm. And he was a, he was an unbelievably good MD. It, yeah. it was funny at the time, uh, just as we record this, the Australian Open tennis has just finished. Yep. And it occurred to me watching the tennis the other night that, um, which Kia's had a long involvement with mm. now. But remember, it was the Ford Australian Open. Yeah, it was, yeah. And that deal ended in 2000. Ahead of, they really went hard into V8s, obviously the Lowndes deal and the yep. double O Gibson yep. deal. And they, you know, 
Steve Richards ended up with a Ford tick. They put a big amount of effort into yeah. their V8 supercar program. I think they used a lot of the tennis money to divest yes. across to the yeah. motorsport. But yeah. watching that the other night, I think they played an old bit of vision with the, the green courts and the blue um, signage of Ford, which took me right back to that sort oh, of area really? of what you're talking about there. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. it's funny how time has flying oh, yeah. that stuff. But yeah, yeah. another one for me to throw in is when that Ford Gibson Lowndes thing happened, what was the story? Wasn't there some stuff about maybe a South Australian government Commodore team that you were potentially getting involved or could have got involved in? What was the, the state of that at the time? Because I guess for our listeners, we should rewind it, that um, uh, Gary Dumbrell had come along with wins and sort yep. of forged with you. Scafey left to go to HRT. Yep. You ran wins cars for a couple of years, won Bathurst with uh, Murph and Richo in 99. Uh 2000 was Kmart and he acquired the team. Yep. Um, so was this is, in 2000 when you were out and he was he was Yeah, but the whole the, thing yeah. is you've got to think back in those days, the money wasn't there. Mm. The money wasn't there and the whole thing is uh, with Gary Dumbrell and all that stuff and wins money, it all looks fantastic and financial and that, but we were scratching. Mm. We were scratching. And um, then, and like, even Gary, when he finished up buying the business off me, sort of thing, he couldn't afford to buy the business and those sorts of things. Um, and, and I think. So, Paul, did you think that you were done with racing at that point when yeah, you sold that? You were, yeah. oh, I'm done. I've had yeah. the time. And I'm- it's all over. It's all over because we, we couldn't do motorsport the way I wanted to do motorsport. Uh, and the thing is, that was the big secret of it all, I suppose. Like, if you can't do something well, don't do it at all. Mm. And I've had a lot of money over many years of motorsport and give good results for the money we've had. Um, but the thing was with uh, Gary and that, there was never the money, even the wins money or whatever, to do it as well as we could. And we did well, we did pretty well, but didn't really sort of like do it at the top level. Uh, and then the Ford, and then, you know, the Ford deal come up. Where they wanted to go racing again, um, and uh, Jeff Pilates was the one that started all that off. Mm. You know? So, was that Adelaide thing a thing at all with Commodores? No, and they were. Talk- it was talking. They bit were talk-, talk. Bit of talk. Bit of government talk, and the government put some money in and do something. And we looked at a factory over there where we we're going to have a workshop and that. But it really was just you know when the- when it comes down to the dollars, and you say it's going to cost you a million dollars, say. Mm. They collapse on the floor, yeah. don't they? Well, that ends that deal. <laughs> but it's amazing how, like, also, too, if I can just talk about the Lowndes deal. Mm, which we've got some questions about that era, too, yeah. The Lowndes deal, like, uh, you know, Tom had him under contract. Tom Walkinshaw. Sure. Yeah. Tom had him under contract. And uh, he, Craig's legal people were talking to Tom about doing it. And I, in my crude way, I said, well, stop stuffing about. Do you want Lowndes to, you know, to get him out of his contract with Walkinshaw? They said, yeah. I said, well, I'll do it. I said, it's going to cost you money. Mm. Simple as that. Money fixes and changes stuff. And the thing is, it was the Grand Prix and we're supposed to race that weekend and Craig, uh, Craig wasn't still free to drive the car. Legally. Legally. Like he was entered and yeah, there was the car. Because o Tom and- still had, it, had him under contract. Yeah. And I said, and all the gurus were doing the job. They're all the marketing people, and they're all on their thing trying to do this deal. So I, bu- I just bumped into Tom at the Grand Prix on the Friday, um, Thursday might have been the, and said, Tom, da 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 da. He didn't know I didn't know him that well. So and so, and he said, uh, I said, like Tom, this is bullshit. Like we've got to do something. What do you want to do? He said, well, How much money may you give me? And I forget the number I did, but it was a good lump of money to pay at the contract. To pay at the contract. He said, deal's done, shook hands. 
I went back out and I said to Craig's legal people, give Tom so much money and he can drive the weekend. So okay. it, was, it was pretty simple. All this rooting around that we're doing, trying to do these deals, they just didn't understand Tom. Tom was a hard-nosed bugger, hmm. but he was a fair guy. And when he, when he said to me how much he wanted, and it was a couple hundred grand or something sort of thing, I said, well, okay, yeah, okay, well, that's a deal. Shook hands. Get it done. Get it done. Hmm. Yeah. Was it the fact that it was Lowndes in that deal that made you go, all right, I'm coming back, I'll, do, I'll get involved? Yeah, it if was. it was anybody else, would you have bothered? I don't know because Jeff Pilates rang me and said, like, you know, uh, you know, we want to get back into the, in, into the sport again. And he said, uh, he said, this young Craig Lowndes, what can we do with him again? You know, like, and I said, well, yeah, he's, he'd do a good job. And, and he, of course he'd do a good job. Hmm. And so that's the only reason we got him back in again, so really. But that fell apart because of deals and sponsorship and didn't work. Mm. It, was, it was never going to work, mm. you know. One of those ones, and I don't want to press no. onto those topics of stuff that went wrong, but um, I guess we've seen other situations in the past. I think Brock had this scenario too with the wheels where it was Team Brock, but it was their team. Yeah, yeah. In that instance, Bob Forbes was uh, yeah. been involved, and you guys yeah. had had a long association yeah. with the GDRs, and you ran yeah. a customer car and stuff like that. Yeah. It was Gibson Motorsport. Yeah. Logo and name, and yeah. and and you obviously sort of at the front of it, really. But in essence, behind it, he was the yeah. He oh, owned yeah. It, for, really, for, the business, for, you know. Yeah, Forbes was the man. He he's the one that sort of you know was pushing the issue to do it again, sort of thing, really. And uh, you know. I knew Bob wouldn't have the money to do it properly and didn't have the sponsorship, so it fell apart pretty quickly and then we become enemies really in some ways, yeah, mm, which is mm. sad. Yeah, I'm sad. It's sad. Sad yeah. to see what how that all oh, yeah. went and yeah. got legal and, oh, and all that sort of stuff. Because, but I'll tell you one thing though, mate, that the, the green-eyed monster oh, yeah. car yeah. is iconic. Oh, yeah. uh, the, whenever we throw a photo up on social media of Lowndes or wherever he was racing back in those couple of years with that car, so yeah. distinctive delivery. It didn't win much, no. to be honest. It didn't win much, no. but it made a mammoth impression. And here we are 20 years on, people go nuts. Yeah. Fans love it. Well, Noel Watson designed all that. Mm. Now, when Noel had his marketing company, and he was a mate, he lived at Mount Eliza and that sort of stuff. And uh, like we, so he was involved in that little deal. With the, but it all, it all it all fell apart because it wasn't was probably never going to work. It, I suppose you're, gr- you're you're grasping on the side of the hill, thinking it's going to work. Get mm. Craig in a car, the green eyed monster. They did a good job of designing that. It looked fantastic. Jeff Pilari is the boss of Ford Motor Company. Wanted to do it sort of thing. And what about it when I said the Ford? Didn't I? He said about the, the Ford oval on the side. And I think what uh, I said something about we're going to paint it silver or something. Did it finish up being silver the fourth? Silver black uh, sort so, of thing, yeah. And uh, and uh, I said to uh, he said to me, um, politely said, Fred, he said the Ford logo is never those colours. I don't know how I'm going to get away putting that through the system. And I said, well, let's do it and see what happens. Hmm. And which we did, and it looked fantastic. Yeah. But he, you know, it was blue and white normally. The Ford, the Ford hmm. logo wasn't it really. Here we are, on the side of the car. Henley died when he when he said, "Oh God, you know, this is not meeting corporate communications this is not logo good, use guidelines. Not going to be good on Monday morning at head office." <laughs> yeah. He was a terrific guy. Yeah, yeah they they really did yeah. go boots in yeah. in that area with, with yeah. Ford for sure. Yeah. Uh, another question here from Michael Gray: What was your greatest moment as a driver? Mm. Good question, isn't it? Actually, good question might not necessarily have been a win. Mm. I suppose it'd have to be winning Bathurst in '67 with Harry, mm. because that came out the blue. 
Um, I think I did a pretty good job of that weekend because Harry just kept me in the car. <laughs> kept going. He was, he was the mechanic. He was the mechanic. He, 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 he was Jim and you were Mark. Yeah, he was exactly. a guinea pig. Yeah. And I think that was – and uh, probably winning that disappointment was the next year. We should have won again because we got a stands for the radiator. You and Bo. Bo and Bo. Yeah. In Harry's car. But I couldn't believe also when we arrived at Bathurst and Harry, with Harry and his team – Oh, yeah, it was a works team, and they're in a tent at the back, and there's a trailer with shit everywhere in the back of the trailer, and, oh, God, drive. <laughs> this is the Ford works team. Because I, I met, I, I met uh, Harry uh, well before that when we did the 60,000-kilometre thing around the Yu-Yangs. It was a big proving ground, Ford's proving ground where they did just whatever yeah. the current model Falcon yeah. was just – Kilometres and kilometres and kilometres. Two door XL or whatever they were. Yeah. Two door, we just went around 70,000 Ks. 70,000 miles, 70,000 Ks. Oh, either on, way, it's a long way. On, yeah. We, and we got, we actually, well, we flew from Sydney, Bow and I and the Gagans and that because they were running out of drivers for that. <laughs> more blokes. They're wearing them, wearing them all out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they're wearing them. They were just going round, 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 round. Keep going. It's a big think, thing back in then doing those sort of time distance runs yeah. to show reliability of road cars and performance. Well, and Well, Ford didn't have the real – they didn't have that reliability thing back in those days, I don't mm. think. Um, the XM or XLs, whatever they were. And uh, they wanted to do that, and they did it. I know the the heavy from America was there. The president from Ford America was here, and we did that. And we uh, it was hard work, yeah, mm. you know. Mm. And Harry, but what we started racing. Just a quick story on that, you know, out of sight around the back of the U Yangs. Uh, all the, all us drivers, we'd drive the wheels off the Falcon because we're supposed to be taking it easy and look after them. And as you go past where everyone, where all the pits were and where they do the pit work and everything, we'd out of sight again and all <laughs> And all of a sudden, but what happened was Harry and, um, I think Harry and one of the heavies there went out at the back and watched us and they, oh, Les Powell, he was the pro- motorsport boss, Les Powell. He stopped the whole thing. Got all the drivers together and said, "We've been round the back watching you guys." And as from now, because they were pulling, they were running out of tires. Dunlop SPs, oh, the Dunlop SP two fifty something. They were pulling wheels and wheels off cars on the showroom floor and with tires on. Take down there, they're running out of tires. They're running out of tires. Because <laughs> you blokes were using yeah, them well, up. Yeah, we used them up. Yeah, sorry about that. That was part one of our chat with Fred Gibson. He was in very good form, and I can happily tell you that part two next week covers even more National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions, and we get Fred to tackle the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout. Don't forget to jump on our online bookshop. It's bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Bunch of great books and magazines, prints and racing DVDs for you to add to your collection. Of course, don't forget you can pre-order the Larry Perkins Car History Book. Plenty of interest too, I reckon, one day if we ever did the cars of Gibson Motorsport. If you like that idea, send us a note on the socials. Don't forget to, every Monday, Repco Supercars Weekly. It's a part of our V8 Sleuth podcast series. It's our look at the Repco Supercars Championship with some news, updated points, all of the the tidbits and bits and pieces of info that will keep you ticking between the races in the lead-up to the rounds and, of course, in the aftermath of rounds too. Follow us on socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know the deal, and sign up to our newsletter through our v8sleuth.com.au website you'll get regular links to our news stories you'll get advice of when new products are landing when pre-orders are opening for things it's your way to keep in touch 
with us and it's our way to keep connected to you. In the meantime, that's been another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. We'll chat to you soon. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.